So we've been talking about inheritance, and, and, I, and I just want to encourage you this morning that you carry an inheritance, that you are releasing inheritance, that you, you have an impact to make in this world, in your relationship with Jesus, and saying yes to Jesus, that you have come into new life. We would say spiritually, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we are spiritually born again. And as we are born again, we are brought into a family, and we have a father. God is our father, and as he has a, a father. We have a father. We have an inheritance and kingdom purposes that we carry and that we release. And, and I want us to begin as we transition from intimacy, identity, to inheritance, and we're in this season for a while, I want you to really think about what does it look like to carry and give away all that God is to the world around you? And if I, if I gave each of you $500 today, I'm not going to, um, but if I did, uh, reverse offering. Um, and I said, I want you to spend this. The only way you can spend it, though, is just by being walking with the Lord. Be prayerful throughout your week. And I want you to allow God to direct you to someone that needs this $500. And I want you to to give it to them and, and spend it on them. And, and if, you, if, I, if I tangibly gave you $500 today and you carried that in your pocket, you would have that reminder and you would be looking around. You would, I believe that you would probably walk through your week entirely differently if you knew that you had $500 in your pocket to give away to somebody that God was gonna direct you to and you were gonna have this awesome interaction with them and you're gonna be able to share with them hope or, or life or joy or whatever and, and talk to them. Like you would, you would live in a different way. And I, and I want us to to really believe and carry the inheritance that Jesus has given to us as, as co-heirs with Christ, that that would, that would almost burn a hole in our pocket to be able to give away the things that God has given to us. And that's what we say, inheritance is all that Jesus is, all that God is made available to us through our relationship with Jesus, and that we give it away through the indwelling and empowerment and the, the, the flowing of the Spirit through us. And so you, you really do, as followers of Jesus, if you are one in this place who has surrendered your life to Jesus and, and, and consider yourself a disciple of his and born again spiritually, then what you have is access through the Father to all of the, the bank accounts of heaven, so to speak, to be able to say, I am looking for people to impact with my inheritance as a co-heir with Jesus. And, but I think that maybe sometimes we don't live quite with that same awareness that we would if I had a tangible $500 bill in our pocket. But I want us to, I want us to walk out of this room feeling fully empowered to be able to carry and to release the inheritance that God, our Father, has for us and wants to release through us today. We ask this question, what will you do with all that you've been given in Christ? What, what will you do with it? And I don't want you to hear that question as a, a religious, like, what will, you, what will you do with all that Jesus did for you? I want you to hear it as an invitation to adventure. Like, if you have access to all that God is and the Father wants to make himself known to sons and daughters who need to be called home, they're orphans who are, who are adopted, how would you live that out? How would you walk that out? What would that, what would that look like? And the, and the reality of not be, oh, I'm living under this religious, like, what am I gonna do? You're gonna live under this. God, what are we gonna do? Like, what is this gonna look like for me to carry and release the inheritance and all that you've done and all that you wanna do in and through my life? And last week, we talked about how our inheritance is victory, and you're welcome to go back and listen to that message. And, 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 and truthfully, every, we're not talking about anything that we have done or that we've accomplished or that we're so great we get to carry this thing. When we really are manifesting our inheritance, the fullness of who God is through Jesus and the Spirit in us, the, the way that we're doing that 
the way that we're releasing that, the things that are taking place is understanding that it is in Jesus's victory and not in our own victory. It is in Jesus's victory and not our human effort. It's not in our perfection that this inheritance has been made available to us as sons and daughters. It's the fact that in Christ, we have been made sons and daughters and that we have a place at the table. We have access to that full inheritance. And so our inheritance is victory. We talked about how that's tangible and it's practical and, and different things of, yes, victory over sin and victory over darkness and victory over death, but it's also it plays out in being able to manifest a victorious lifestyle in all things and that the fruit of the Spirit would be seen through your life, not as a religious checklist that you have to perform to, but really as an overflow without thinking that the overflow of your life would be the, with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's, that's our inheritance, but we also have a victorious kingdom that we inherited. And so I want you to begin to think about it this morning, that, that kingdom mindset is that we have been given an unshakable kingdom, as Hebrews 12 says, that the church is, is designed in God's, in God's economy, the church as a whole, the worldwide church, our church, it is designed to be an embassy of the kingdom. And so people come here to learn about the kingdom. We come here for a safe place. We come here to be reminded about the kingdom that we're a part of. We come here to, to know that we have a king. Jesus is the king and he's seated on the throne and nothing that's going on in this world is gonna ever take Jesus off of the throne. That is established, it is a fact, and it is irrefutable not going to change no matter what is going on. And so we come here and this place is to be an embassy, but we are to be ambassadors and ambassadors who carry the kingdom out into the darkness, out into the world, out into the places that he is calling you and I to go, that he has given us favor or he has given us influence into our families, into our relationships, into our workplaces, into our schools. We are here not to establish the church. We are here to establish the kingdom. And the kingdom is victorious. We're not in an equal battle with evil. Please don't think of this as like sin and darkness and evil are somehow equal to Jesus the king. Jesus the king has won the entire victory. All we are doing is saying all of this territory belongs to Jesus. And while there are some camps of sin and darkness that remain, I am called as a, as, as a carrier of light, a city on a hill, that I am called to go into those places and to displace the darkness, the death, the lies, the, the sin, whatever it is, is that my life is simply displacing the enemy who exists in a territory that does not belong to him. Because Jesus is victorious and we carry a victorious kingdom. And so we are advancing that kingdom and we're extending the victory that already exists. We're expelling the remnants of darkness like the promised land. The people in the Old Testament, the Israelites came out of their season in Egypt and they came to the edge of this promised land. And this, this promised land had been given to them generations before to their forefathers that God had promised, I will give you this land that you will be able to live and establish your families on and your lineage on. And so they knew that this land was promised to them but after 400 years of slavery and walking across the wilderness for 40 years, they, they came to this, well, they came to the edge of this, this promised land and they sent spies into the land to say, report back to us. What is this promised land like? And, and, and the spies came back, unfortunately, and they, what did they say? They were like, hey, there's enemies there. Like this promised land, this God, some promise God gave us, like it's not empty. There's, there, we're gonna have to fight. We're gonna have to go and take possession of. And so I want us to understand that that's the reality of our inheritance is that it belongs to us, but we have to be people who are willing to take possession of it. And that's where we'll talk about that in future weeks where our lifestyle matters and the way that we posture ourselves matter and the way that we are intimate with the spirit of God, all of that matters. But what really matters is that we are willing to say, God, we are standing in your promises. And we believe that extending them, there will be places of pushback. There will be places of difficulty. There will be giants 
giants that I have to confront, but I am standing on your completed promise that this land already belongs to you. We are taking possession of it. That's what we are doing when we're standing in the victory of Jesus and believing that we have an unshakable kingdom and an unshakable king. And when we remember that, we won't be pining for kings or fixes on this earth or in this realm. We will know that our Jesus, our king, is already established and victorious, and we are participating in watching it unfold. And so, um, please, don't waste your time with doctrines or teachings that take what is complete in Christ and makes it seem like it's up for grabs or that it's in doubt. It is not in doubt. Jesus' victory is not in doubt. We know things are going on, and we are called to pray and intercede and go and be there and, and do those things. And I'm not saying like, oh, the victory is not in doubt, so let's throw our hands back and, do, and just let whatever happens, happens. No, no, no. When we know that victory is already ours, but we carry it and we release it, then we are called to be people who pray and go and impact that thing for the reality. But we don't want to ever live with anxiety that somehow his kingdom is shaking or that somehow his plans are coming apart or that there is an enemy in existence that could ever equal God. The enemy is defeated. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Darkness is defeated. We are people of an unshakable kingdom. We are ambassadors that carry that light into the darkest of places because our light displaces the darkness. That is victory, okay? So we carry that victorious kingdom and we're a part of it. I also believe then that if that's the reality that we are carrying a kingdom that is victorious and cannot be shaken, then your assignment and our assignment is significant. The divine purposes that God has for you within this kingdom are significant, they matter. And I say our assignment is significant because I don't ever want you to think or believe that the assignment of Living Waters as a church or the assignment of me as a pastor or a leader of this house is somehow more significant in advancing a victorious kingdom than your assignment is in the place where you are and the things that you are called to do in the assignment and the, uh, the authority and the influence that you have. You walking in your assignment is just as vital as me walking in my assignment. Being on this stage doesn't make it more important than you going to your family, your marriage, your workplace, your friendships, your school, and saying, God, what does it look like to manifest a victorious kingdom in this place? You're a king, you're on the throne. What does it look like to live that out? Your assignment matters. The call that's on your life, the purposes that are on your life, the use of your inheritance, the riches of heaven that are behind you, draw on those and bringing them and manifesting them from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. And I'm not talking about gold bullion. I'm saying the authority of Christ and the victory of Christ. How do you lay hold of it in the spiritual realm, right? How do you lay hold of it in the spiritual realm and bring it into reality in your life right here, right now, and allow that to influence the world around you and make Jesus famous. Let people know that they have a father and that they are sons and daughters and that he wants to adopt them into his family. And so I believe that there are specific calls in your life for this season, for the place that you are in right now. And this, this is, of course, there's a general call in your life to Jesus. Every single one of us is called to Christ. Come to me, he says, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So we have a general call to Jesus. Every one of us has to answer this question as Jesus says, come and follow me. That is the initial call. It's a general call. It's a specific call. It's a personal call, but it's to every single one of us. So when I say you are called, I'm not talking about Jesus calling you. We, Jesus has called every single one of us and has said to us, come, follow me. Allow me to come alive in you. Let my spirit make you born again in Jesus. And so we have that call to come and follow him. We have also have a commission. It's a general commission to be ambassadors of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. 
God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? The ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He is not counting people's sins against them. And he has, what, is, what has he done then in this general call, this general commissioning for us? He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You and I, we carry this. If we have been reconciled to, to the Father through Jesus, then we carry this message of reconciliation to the world around us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making the appeal, his appeal through us. So we have a call to Jesus. We have a commission as ambassadors. We also have an assignment that is, isn't gonna change in our life. Your assignment is to go and make disciples. Therefore, he says, Jesus says this, go and make disciples where? In all nations and of all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This was his, this was his pathway for discipleship. This was his pathway for people to come into the kingdom was that, was that act of being baptized. And we want to, um, on a side note, really quick, I want to let you know that we're having a baptism Sunday and it's been a while and you guys, I don't know if you know, but the last couple of years have been a little weird. Um, and so we're excited to be looking forward to celebrating Easter together. We're excited to be looking forward to doing things like, like having, having coffee out and, and being able to have donuts and, and doing those sorts of things, but also to do, to, to do things like baptisms and not that we couldn't have done baptism before, just to be able to do it corporately is such a gift. And we want to, want to really quickly just tell you we have a baptism coming up and if you're new a follower of Jesus scripture instructs us that the beginning point of our discipleship journey would to be baptized in water and it symbolizes us dying with Christ all of our past being washed off of us and and coming alive in Jesus to a new life born again and so if you have not been baptized or maybe you were baptized in a point when you didn't understand what that relationship with Jesus looked like we're going to have a, a baptism on April 10th we had it on a different date but we've got to work through some different stuff so we've moved it to April 10th. Uh, you can sign up online, lwrv.org slash baptism. And I think for just a second, Andy's going to, or someone's going to throw up a QR code that if you want to register that way, you can just do that. Um, hopefully that line through it doesn't make it not work. Um, so anyway, please sign up. We would love to get in touch with you. We will, we will reach out to you. We will talk with you about it. We'll go through scriptures about what baptism means, why it's an imperative to, our spiritual, to your spiritual journey as a follower of Jesus, why it's imperative to your discipleship journey. And so if you, if you are interested in being baptized, please reach out to us and let us know. We would love to celebrate that with you as a family right here in the midst of worship and, and being together. Um, so how are we doing? Good. Okay, <clears throat> so there is a general call on us to Jesus. There's a general commission on us as ambassadors. There's a general assignment on each one of us to go and make disciples. But if it's all general, then what about the how that is very specific to you and to your personality, to your life, to the place where you are right now, to the assignment that you have right now? What about the dreams or the ideas or the passions or the blueprints that heaven is downloading to you to say, this is how I want you to participate with releasing your inheritance, all that I have for you, through you. What about that specific assignment? To you. I want to talk a little bit about that today. Because if we say, oh, everybody's called, everybody's sent, we may overgeneralize to the point where no one ever says, how am I called? And how am I sent? And where am I to go? And what does the timing look like for my life, for me to say yes to the things that God is calling you to do? So here's the problem. 
not asking that question. What does it look like for me specifically? So God said this over Jeremiah, and Nisha mentioned this a couple weeks ago in her message. Jeremiah 1.5 is a, is, a, is a passage of scripture that we all love to quote. It's very well known, but I want to unpack it just slightly with you today. Jeremiah 1.5, and Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and uh, it said, said this, God spoke this over him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So we have this scripture that shows us how Jeremiah was known as he was being formed in the womb by God as, and, and physically. This is what God spoke over him. I knew you, I set you apart, and I appointed specific things for you to do and to be a part of us. Is that true only of Jeremiah? Is that true only of Old Testament prophets? No, absolutely not. I believe this is true of every single one of us. And now we may not, you may not be called as a prophet to the nations, but you are called to something. You have an assignment on your life. God, as God created you and dreamed you, and built you and built dreams and passions into you and gifts into you and things that only look like you and only you possess, that he also was saying, I have assignments for you. I know you. I I see the things I have for you. I've appointed you for things. And I believe that that's true of every single one of us. I believe that we all are known, that we've all been set apart, that we've all been appointed very specifically, and we all have an inheritance in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing, as we talked about last week. We, we have been seated with Jesus in the heavenly realm, but the specific known and set, up, set apart and appointed that you are, what is that, and what does that look like? You have this grace on your life, this undeserved supernatural favor. What does it look like for you to walk in that favor and to release it to the world around you? Do you ask, how am I to spend this? Romans 12 encourages us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that we're to say, God, how can I lay down my life for you today? Be fully alive to you, but truly lay down my life to you and walk in the supernatural favor of the call, the assignment, and the knowledge that you have for me. The question is this, or the reality is this, I'm sorry. The reality is this, is that the Romans eleven twenty nine. this is Paul writing, encouraging believers. He says, the gifts and the call on your life are irrevocable. So no matter what, they are built into you. And I want to this morning, I want this morning to be an opportunity for us to champion you, to revoke the right for any story, anything that's happened to you, anything that you've done, any shame that's trying to cling on to your reality, the excuses that may want to, to rise up. I, review, I revoke the lies that want to say what you're worth and what your value is, what your ability is. I want to revoke those this morning, the failures, the past, any of those things to define you or to express, to enable you or to disable you to walk in the full inheritance that your father has for you. And that this morning that we would, we would allow the, the renewal of that heart that God has to say, I know you, I built you, I've appointed you, I've called you, I've commissioned you, I have specific things for you. And that we don't get to disqualify ourselves. We don't get to let our story or anyone else's story determine or disqualify us from being able to walk out the full expression of what it means for you to be a son or a daughter with full access to all that Christ is and you would bring that to bear on this world. 
But the question then that I would have for us this morning is what disqualifies you from rising up and from releasing your kingdom inheritance, from impacting the world around you as you live fully alive in Jesus, a son or a daughter with a father and all of heaven behind you. What disqualifies you? I think I might know what disqualifies us. And I'm gonna go back to what is a question that you guys are so tired of hearing. But if we're gonna be people who walk out of here encouraged in restored inheritances this morning, that nothing is, is taking away the inheritance that we have and that we wouldn't disqualify ourselves, we wouldn't let anything disqualify us, I think I might know why we sometimes disqualify ourselves. And this is the question, what is God like? What is God like? Think about this, what is God like? And I know we've begun this whole, this whole series, this whole journey, intimacy, identity, inheritance. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. But, th but this is it. What is God like? What should come to mind when I ask you that question? The answer is Jesus. He is the only right answer for when we wonder what God is like. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, but Jesus, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has revealed him to us. In John 14.9, Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples, and they're saying, We want to see, we want to see, we want to see the Father. And Jesus says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What is God like? Jesus. That is the answer to that question. And when we believe that God is unlike Jesus, we begin to feel disqualified because we start to have this image of God that is gonna revoke our inheritance, that is gonna make us perform, that is gonna punish us for failure, that is gonna say, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you have that mistake in your past, you have that thing that you've done, you don't have the right theology about this thing or that thing, or you haven't figured this out yet, or you haven't memorized enough Bible scriptures, or you haven't served enough at the whatever. Like, this is the God that we sometimes have in our mind, but we have to to do is learn to think and say, wait, Jesus, you came to reveal the Father and what Jesus is like, what Jesus is like is what the Father is like. And so I want to think about the question today, what is God like? The answer to this question will define your entire life. How does God respond to you when you succeed? Oh, you can do that. That's pretty easy, right? He's proud of me. It's a father. He's proud of me. How does God respond when you surrender your life completely to him? Oh, he restores me and he makes me whole. Absolutely true. How does God respond when there's a call on your life or an assignment on your life? Oh, he, he empowers me. Great. That's awesome. But this is the crux of this. The answer to this question is the one that defines what you truly think God is like. How does God respond to you in your shame, in your failure, in your sin, in your history, in your past, in what you did 20 years ago or what you did 20 minutes ago? How does God respond to you in your failure? That reveals to me more about what you think God is like than anything else in your life. And it will determine how you carry the inheritance that he has for you and the impact that you'll have as a kingdom-minded ambassador to the nations or to the neighborhoods or to your family. What is God like when I fail? What is God like when I squander my gifts, my opportunities, my inheritance? What if like Jeremiah, I was known and set apart 
And I was appointed for certain things, but my life journey, my mistakes, my past, you don't know what I've done and the things, this and that, and all of the different things. What is he like? Is he withholding your inheritance? Or is he ready this morning to restore your inheritance? In just a few minutes, the worship team is gonna come back up here and I want you to clear your hands of whatever things. We're not gonna be taking notes. I'm gonna read something to you. It's gonna take me about 10 minutes to read it and I want you to just close your eyes or, or sit back and, and I want you to receive this. And I, this is something I, um, that I wrote in, the, in, in Still Life and you guys, maybe you've read it, but I, wanted, I felt very strongly um, prompted by the Lord just to read this this morning as we're talking about inheritance and before we go forward into what it looks like and what things you're called to and what assignments you're in right now and what are your places of influence and what are the dreams and the blueprints that you carry. Before we got into all of that, we have to make sure that none of us are living a story that disqualifies us from having full access as sons and daughters to every single thing that God has built into you, dreamed into you, assigned for you, believed about you, and has made possible for you. We have to put this to rest before we walk out of this place is that you have full access to everything that God is and everything he has for you. This is a story from Luke 15. This is just a rewrite of a story that Jesus told. And so sit back for just a few minutes and let me read this to you. Thinking, pondering on this question, what is God like when you have failed, when you've squandered gifts, opportunities, or inheritance? When Jesus walked the earth a tangible, as a tangible expression and revelation of the love and person of God, he told a simple story about what God is like. And it was the story of a father. It was a story of coming home. The story went like this. There once was a young man who was born into wealth. He had a father who loved him and a future filled with opportunity. But none of that was enough for him. So he went to his father and he asked for his inheritance early. His actions communicated this to his father. Your only value to me is what I will get from you when you are dead. Your presence in my life is holding me back from what I'm going to get and I want it now. I would rather you were out of the picture so I could get my inheritance. Of course, this broke the father's heart, but instead of rejecting, instead of punishing, instead of shaming his son, he liquidated this young man's future inheritance and gave it to his, gave him his portion. Those who heard Jesus tell this story would have known how violating this request was to the father. And they would have been shocked that the father would give in to such a request. It would have been more common and expected for the father to drag his son into the town square and strike him across the mouth, the mouth and then shame and disavow him before everyone. But in love, the father bent to his son and went along with his request. <clears throat> the son shamed his father, took his inheritance and left. He spent his money living among those his culture despised, filling the pockets of enemies with all that his father had spent his life to acquire. He wasted and squandered. He violated himself and others in pursuit of fulfillment. When his money ran out, this son, who had disowned his own father and fled from his home and his land, was left entirely alone, bankrupt, abandoned, broken. 
There was no one to turn to, and there was nowhere to go. The friendships faded. The cheap gratifications held no lasting meaning, and all that he had was gone. He had spent his money and himself in the process. Weak and poor and starving and isolated, he longed to be home. But he had no home. He had no people. He had no family. He found that the cost he'd been paying wasn't in dollars. It was in belonging. Nowhere to dwell and nowhere to go. He resolved to return to his house and beg to be a servant. He understand his failure came with a consequence. And maybe if he accepted those consequences, he could be taken back as a lowly slave in the father's household. To wish or hope for more was beyond the realm of what he could possibly hope or imagine. So he headed back to where it all began. And we must understand that those who heard Jesus tell this story knew to even return to his village was to risk rejection at best and death at worst. It wasn't outside the realm of possibility for a son who had dishonored and stolen from his father to be stoned to death. He had to carry his shame and walk through his village expecting all he had done to restrict him from making it to his house. And if he made it there, his greatest hope was to be a slave. Then Jesus, a master storyteller, he picked up the story from the perspective of the father. A father violated and offended after the loss of half of his estate, doing something completely unexpected. Each morning he would wake up early and watch the horizon for a traveler, always with an eye up the road. Then one day he saw what he was looking for. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, recognized him. That is my son. He knew his own son over time and distance because he'd held him in his heart all of those days. What would the father do? Those who heard Jesus tell this story who didn't know how it would end must have leaned in expecting vengeance. The father was right. The son was wrong. He has come home to sulk and grovel, but the father was a man of pride. Will he publicly shame his son? Will he make his son list all of his mistakes? Will he repay every make him repay every dollar that was spent? Will there be a public call for repentance? Will the father hold back and watch as the village exacts punishment for how the son has forsaken the law? The crowd has seen the traveler by now. After all, someone coming down that road alone without cart or cattle is a rare sight. Recognition dawns, anger flares, people are called into the street, maybe stones are even collected. Does the father, a man of class and dignity, stand by stoically as this scene unfolds? Absolutely not. In a culture where a man of wealth, a respected landowner, and a community leader would always be under control, this father ran. He ran to embrace his son before the crowds could bury him in shame, accusation, and punish him. He ran to impart value upon his son before a word was said. He ran to change the end of this homecoming story. As this story was told, those listening would have been absolutely shocked by this moment. Radical love and forgiveness being shown instead of punishment. Where was justice? Where is vengeance? Where is retribution at least? But this father, compelled by compassion, ran to his son and threw his arms around him. 
the son, having rehearsed a speech, continues on, most likely in shock as well, and says, I am a failure. I have broken your trust. I have violated you, and everyone has seen it. I have squandered my inheritance. I am no longer worthy of being your son. But before he can even finish his request to be made a servant, his father cuts him off. And looking into his son's eyes and holding his gaze, he shouts to his servant, but mainly for the sons and for the gathered crowd to hear, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Cover his shame. Put a ring on his finger. Restore his sonship. Put sandals on his feet. Clean off the dust from the places he's been. Kill the fatted calf. It's more than just restoring. It's returning all that was lost and it was celebrating what is ahead. Who is like this? Who can forgive and protect and heal and restore all in one one moment? That's our God. That's our Father who this story is about. This was Jesus teaching us the good news, teaching us the gospel. He came that we would know the love of the Father. He came that we would know that our Father waits for us to come home. He runs to embrace us, to protect us from the scorn and the shame, and to make all things right. Home is where the Father is waiting. Home is the end of the journey that teaches us that while we believe our best hope for a relationship with God is to spend our days as a servant, we have always been and will always be his sons, his daughters, not an orphan, but a precious child with a home and an inheritance that cannot be squandered. God the Father waits for us. When we open our hearts to him, he makes his home in us. And then he waits for us to travel home to our hearts where he is holding his eyes upon the horizon in anticipation. And finally, when we are done trying to find meaning in external things and our lives are spent, when we are done performing and pleasing and competing and comparing, when we're done with numbing and satiating and consuming in hope of finding one spark of meaning that could become a flame that warms our lives with some value. When we are done taking and blaming and violating, pushing others down in our attempt to stay afloat, to stay alive, to be something we are not, and we give up, that's when silence falls. And we hear a still small voice that has always been calling us. It's time to come home. Until we are home in him, we will never find a place to settle or to belong or to rest. Every time we wander or squander or leave our seat at the table and try to create our own, we are tempted to grovel our way home and beg to be whipped into shape, to be given menial tasks that prove what we believe about ourselves is right. And every time we find our father running to throw his arms around us, restoring and covering and declaring over us for all to hear that his beloved child has made it home. See, when we talk about our inheritance, I know this, is that our conditioning, our self-doubt, our comparisons, our learned expectations, 
our circumstances, our enemy, all of this stuff works diligently to program our minds and our hearts to feel unworthy and unable to access and to release the fullness of our inheritance as sons and daughters right here, right now. We have these places in our past, in our story, where we have found ourselves in shame. And I believe that God is calling us home to return to Him, to return to restored identity, to return to restored inheritance. And some of us don't come because we fear how the Father is truly gonna respond to us. But this story that Jesus told was so that we would know that despite the mess that we might be in, that he's longing for us to be home. And he's longing to restore our inheritance. And I know we're talking about things that may be way, way, way in your past. There's moments in our lives where we sin and we fail and we fall short. And those hurt us temporarily, but shame Shame is what invites us to make that our story and to build our life and to live there. And so I may not be talking to you about something that disqualifies you that happened last week. I might be talking about stories that you believe about yourself that disqualifies you from 20 years ago. And while you believe that you have a good father that comes home to come home to, you're still setting up your life in those places of shame. And so this morning, I just, I want to worship for a few minutes. I wanna invite Holy Spirit to call us home, to meet us in places. Maybe it's places where actively we find ourselves just sitting in the muck and we need to come home. Or maybe it's places where a shame story has told us you're, not, you're disqualified from walking out your full identity and inheritance as a son or a daughter. And what we need is an experience right now of, of a father who sees us and runs to us to embrace us and louder than any accusation, say, this is my son. This is my daughter. Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals, throw the party. Their, their inheritance is fully restored. So as we worship for these next few minutes, can you stay in that place, that redeemed imagination, and just allow the Father to bring you home and to restore your inheritance, to restore that truth of while I formed you and knew you, called you, I appointed you and that you're not disqualified from seeing everything that I dreamed for you and through you taking place in your life. But we got to come home and we got to live from that home. So as we worship, just invite God's spirit to minister to you. I want you to know that there's communion available to you and communion is celebrating the completed work of Jesus, his life, his death, his blood poured out, his body broken for us and his resurrection, his enthronement. And so if this morning a response to you of just coming home is to come back and remember the fullness of what Jesus has accomplished, then please, by all means, let's allow communion to be part of our response this morning and our worship this morning as Pete and the team lead us back into a time of just coming back to the Father to embrace us and restore us 
and to remind us that no winding story is keeping you from releasing fully what he has for you in the days and months and years ahead.
We don't diminish those at all, but if we live out of those, they will disqualify us from being able to rise up and live in full sonship and daughtership and really believe that we access the fullness of who Christ is and that is our inheritance and that we release it into this world and we release it into the world around us. But we have to choose. I am not letting shame tell my story and I'm not living in that place anymore. I'm coming home to the Father until I experience what it's like to have that robe put on me and that ring put on me and the sandals put on me and the party thrown for me for my homecoming because he loves you that way. He loves you that much. He loves you in a way where he paces and waits to see you coming and he runs to you because you're home and you belong to him and he has an inheritance and a purpose for you. But before that, he just has a desire for you to be safe and seen and loved. And we get to choose to stay in that place. Could you imagine if after the party and the homecoming, the son snuck back out and made his way back to that pigsty and said, well, this is where I really belong. And he left the father's house to go back to the shame. But that's the invitation that our shame does, gives for us. Come back, this is where you truly belong. And I know that it sounds completely counterintuitive when I say it like that and we go, oh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But every single one of us knows the temptation that shame holds on us to take us out of the Father's house, away from the Father's table and convince us to live our life from a narrative of shame instead of a narrative of belonging as sons and daughters. We all know it. And so it's not me that's gonna convince you, it's the absolute revelation of this story that Jesus told so that we can always come back to it and said, this is what our Father is like. Jesus told us this story so that we would never doubt and we would never build our story out of places of shame. And if you play this story forward, you imagine the, the whispers of the community as he rose into sonship and started to again take hold of his inheritance. Not for, I mean, just the fact that he'd squandered it all already, but that the father restored him back into a place of inheritance. And the whispers of like, oh, that's the son. That's the one. You know what he did? He took it all. He wasted it all. He lived in that place. He put it into the pockets of our enemies. He did that. Now look at him. Who does he think he is? The only way he could ever live out his identity or his inheritance, if the answer to that question of who he thinks he is was not determined by shame or by what people thought of him or by living in his failure or letting that label him, the only way he could access his inheritance and release it with any confidence would be that he said, I know whose son I am. And I know I experienced how he brought me home. You're going to hear the whispers. People are going to look at you and who do, who do they think they are? walking with such confidence and delight in their inheritance, releasing it and moving in God and doing these things. Who do they think they are? Don't they know? Oh, I know who that person is. They did this or they did that or they did that. If you live out of that, you will always be invited back to camps of shame that want to write your story. But if you can live out of this reality of how the Father sees you, pursues you, runs to you and brings you home, it's the only place you can live out of to be able to be in a restored inheritance that is released to the world around you. And the last thing I would ask you to imagine, 
And just as an invitation is that there are people whose relationship with God is similar to what the son thought he was gonna get when he came home. And we've never been able to break out of that feeling that the best that we're ever gonna have with God, the best relationship we're ever gonna have with God is just to serve, to serve, to serve. I can be a servant in your house. I can be a servant in your house. I can be a servant in your house. That is why the lie of religion is so alluring to us because we come out of places of shame and failure and all we can imagine is that yes, the Father would let me back in the house but only to be someone who serves. I can do the tasks. I can do the tasks. I can do the tasks. Listen, sons and daughters can serve but servants can never be sons and daughters. So we have to understand that when we come home, we are restored to full sonship. Don't let your relationship with God be defined by saying, I am only good enough to serve. You are not only good enough to serve. You are good enough to be a son. You are good enough to be a daughter because Jesus made a way for that reality to take place. And that gives you full access to the fullness of his kingdom and his purposes and that you can draw on heaven say, God, would you show me what it means to be someone who lays hold of my inheritance for my my future, my family, my relationships, my life on earth as it is in heaven. That's what living an inheritance looks like. But the beginning point of it is knowing that you are worthy to access it, to receive it, and to release it. So before we get ahead of ourselves, this morning is simply about that restored inheritance because you have a father who sees you coming out of places of shame and whatever, and he runs to you to embrace you, to restore you, to bring you back into the family and to give you back the inheritance that you squandered. That's how good the Father is. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you, of course, but we worship you and we thank you for the revelation that you brought to us so that our hearts, our spirits, our lives can be ministered to by revelation that you spoke thousands of years ago but is still as fresh and powerful today. So we worship you for being being a God who steps into our reality and brings a revelation that we need to be able to rise up as sons and daughters in our identity, access the inheritance that you have for us and see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our schools, in our relationships in our workplaces, our industries, our dreams. I know I gotta get you guys out there to let the kingdom, or let the kids go and move on with your day, but as you have walked into this place, don't be surprised this week. Get it, keep your journal open. Do not be surprised if God begins to reawaken dreams that you have completely forgot about because that is part of your inheritance. Do not be surprised if he drums up old things that you thought, maybe I would do this, I wanna do this, I have a passion for this. Your passions die under shame. Your, dream, your dreams die under shame. The blueprints of heaven get, get buried under shame. And as we release shame, as we come home as sons and daughters, do not be surprised. If, if dreams and passions and callings and anointings are reawakened, write those down. I want you to bring those with you next week because we're gonna, we're gonna believe together that God is gonna show us how to be a people who affect, who disciple nations, who affect industries, who change families, who change schools, not because of how great we are, but because of what it looks like to be sons and daughters who access our beliefs, our full inheritance. So as you've come to this homecoming, be ready. 
it's time. It's past time. Lazarus, come forth. Dreams that are dead, come alive. Hopes that are forgotten, come alive. Passions and plans for your life and things that you know that God has called you to and gifted you to and assigned you to, come alive now because you have a Father who is that good. Awaken, awaken, awaken. Come out of the grave. It's time. In Jesus' name, we declare these things. Amen.